Revelation 1 verse 9. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it on to the seven churches which are in Asia, on to Ephesus, and on to Smyrna, and on to Pergamos, and on to Thyatira, and on to Sardis, and on to Philadelphia, and on to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Amen. Ending a reading there at the close of that chapter. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing upon us. Our God, we gather this evening. We are thankful that grace draws us into the house of God and gives us a desire to be with thy people, to be around thy word, and to come to the throne of grace. As we have given the time and endeavor by thy grace to come into this place in a profitable way, we pray that thou wilt remember the weakness that is so evident in us all. So thankful that we have in Christ the righteousness that we, meet and that we need, that if we were to stand before thee and claim our own righteousness, we would be weighed in the balances and found wanting. But we're thankful that the righteousness of Christ is sufficient, and we are by faith robed in his righteousness. We have Praise God by faith the garments of salvation. And we gather in this place and lay claim to that. And that is the ground of our hope and confidence. When we come to the season of prayer, we want to be praying with the confidence that we come in the name of Christ. And we're resting in Him. And Lord, we would ask, give us clean hands and pure hearts through the shed blood. Give to us a right spirit. Give to us a frame that enables us to pray, believing prayers, and to seek the Lord while He may be found. We're thankful that thou canst be found by thy people. And God, we pray even those at home may learn and be encouraged in the place of prayer to seek the Lord in these days. We ask, Lord, you'll give us help in this place also. 
We have many matters. We're thankful, Lord, for what Thou art doing. We pray that Thou will continue to remember those that mourn as well. We pray for the Panosians, for the Andersons, and Lord, those also that have memories at this time of the year, and in this month and next month, and just in these coming times, and if the family season just presses in that sense of loss, we pray that Thou wilt encourage. And oh God, give to us then a sense of Thy nearness to all of us as we traverse this pilgrim pathway as we sang. So we ask, Lord, You'll be with us. Forgive our many trespasses. And give us a sense of Thy presence and help us to lay hold upon Thee in this place, we pray, giving Thee our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, I guess, wonderful aspects of studying the passages that remind us of the Incarnation is that we see these individuals excited to see the Lord. They're seeing their God for the first time. And so that they could say with Job, as it were, in Job 42, verse 5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. This was the excitement of Simeon and others where they were beholding their God as even Isaiah spoke of. This is what would happen when he comes. You will behold your God. But the ascension of Christ does not take away this blessing nor remove the need for us to see the Lord or the prayer and desire for us to see the Lord. This is, this is a summation really of gospel ministry, is it not, that people would see the Lord. As Paul speaks of his ministry in Acts 26, verse 18, it says there about opening their their eyes to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This is it. Open their eyes. Open their eyes. But it's not just a once for all experience, is it? Is it not the prayer of the Apostle for the Ephesians in Ephesians 1.18, praying that the eyes of their understanding being enlightened? So there's an aspect of constantly needing to see, to see truth, and specifically the truth that is revealed in Christ. It's not just truth detached from the Lord, but truth that is revealed in and through the Lord. It is truth as it is manifested through the Son of God that we most need to see And John, the Apostle John, understood the importance of this. And I imagine him, we read of that in verse 9, of him being on the isle that is called Patmos for the Word of God. I imagine him often being there, feeling feeling the sense of, of being cut off from normal ministry, the burden, the discouragement, the challenge of that, the satanic attack upon his own soul that he would have felt being isolated in this way. And his prayer, his prayer may have been exactly as he found Moses praying, show me thy glory. Lord, give me a sight of yourself, a longing that the Lord would come to him and encourage his heart by a sight of the one for whom he he was living his life and would finally just serve the entirety of his life for the Lord Jesus. And so in verse 17, you have that language. When I saw him, you have all the details of Christ revealed in this passage, but I was just thinking about these words. When I saw him, I saw him and was struck again by this, this, this is a prayer. Then when we see an experience of a child of God like this, it becomes a prayer for us to then re- offer to the Lord, Lord, I, would, I want that same thing. It's not going to be in the same place, and it's not going to be in the same circumstances, 
But it is the same desire that we have to see the Lord. And you, you have it all through Scripture. I've just mentioned Moses, and maybe that was part of the longing of John. I don't know. You know, there's that, that burden, that, that the show me thy glory. Let me see you, Lord. I long to see you again. Of course, he had handled of the word of life, hadn't he? And the Lord had ascended, and so there was this, this longing, no doubt, to, to even have an experience like that again. So we're taking for our meditation tonight before we pray the three words, I saw him. And I hope, at the very least, you'll go away with that prayer. And as we come to seek the Lord tonight, that will be in your mind to see him in the various ways that it may apply to you specifically and even as you pray for others. Two main thoughts. First, John's study of seeing Jesus is the first one. John's study of seeing Jesus. John made a study of this whole idea of seeing the Lord. I am convinced of that, that it became something that he studied, like the whole idea of seeing the Lord Jesus. It was he that recorded in John 1.18, no man hath seen God at any time. This is the reality. God is veiled from us in the fact that he is without body, and God is a spirit. And so you, no man hath seen God at any time. It's impossible for us to see him. And yet it was also John in his gospel that recorded the words of the Lord Jesus in John 12, 45. He that hath seen me, or rather, he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. So if you see me, you see the one that sent me. You see the Son of God incarnate, you see the Father. Not in the sense that you're seeing the same person, but you have revealed before you the same God. It is God incarnate. And so God is being revealed to you just as you might see if you could see the Father. This is emphasized to Philip, isn't it? In John 14, this is recorded again by John. We don't have this in any of the other Gospels. It is by John that is recorded in John 14, 9. Whenever Jesus saith unto him, speaking to Philip, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And so as I say to you, John made a study of this. A study of seeing the Lord. And so it would, it would stand to reason that someone who made such a study of it would have the blessing of experiencing it because it was always at the forefront of his mind. Oh, to see the Lord. You may go through the Gospel of John with me. You may want to go back to chapter 1. Just note under these simple kind of subpoints here. First, it is the emphasis of the preacher. It is the emphasis of the preacher. John, as he studies this whole subject, he finds out that this is the emphasis of the preacher. John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, what, what was his language? John 1.29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Well, to behold is to see, isn't it? And so John sees, John the Baptist says, sees Jesus coming and then he, he points to him and he says, Look! Look! Look and live, men and women. This is the need of your hearts. This is the emphasis then of the preacher. And so those of you that may be budding preachers or have opportunity to open up the Word, don't deviate from this emphasis. This is that if you can achieve this, though you may feel with stammering and hesitation and not have it all together or organized as, as well as you might, or you might be nervous and speak a little faster than, you know, you, you may be intended, and all of those kind of things that those who begin to preach 
realize can happen so easily. Yet your emphasis is that they might see Jesus Christ. You have, obche- you have achieved the primary objective. This is the emphasis of the preacher. John makes a study of this, and he, he records that for our benefit. It's also the message of the soul winner, again in John 1. When you have in verse 46, Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. So Philip goes to win Nathanael. He's going there to try and win him unto Christ. And so when he engages in this encounter, instead of debating and arguing and trying to enter into apologetic arguments, he just says, Come and see. You need to see him. And so that was his message. And that's the same for us as we try to win souls in conversation when we get an opportunity to talk with them. Ultimately, this is what we're wanting. We're wanting them to see Jesus. So we give them a copy of the Scriptures, and we say, hey, read, read the Gospel of Mark, or read the Gospel of John. Read that. Let's get together and when you're reading and you don't understand something, let's, let's meet up. Let's, let's talk about what it is you're reading, and, and I'll try to give you answers that might help. It was the same with the woman of Samaria. In John 4, you may flip over there. You see the same thing whenever she has the Lord standing before her, and he reveals himself to her, and then she runs back to the city. John 4, 29, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? So I'm telling you, that John makes a study of seeing Christ. This is, his, this is at the forefront of his mind. This is what men need. They need to see Jesus. Of course, he was there. He was perhaps one of John the Baptist's disciples. And so it may have been that, that foundation that John the Baptist had left with the apostle John of the need to see the Lord when he emphasized this, behold the Lamb of God. This is what men need. They need to see the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, it is the experience of the believer. You may flip over to John 6, and you will see this in the language of our Lord Jesus. John 6, verse 40. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So there's a summation of salvation, isn't it? That everyone that sees the Son and believes may have everlasting life. And so at some point you saw Him. You did. Well, not with a physical eye, don't get me wrong. Not in some strange vision, but you had Jesus Christ put before you. And in your understanding of your sin and your departure from God and rebellion, against God and the distance that existed between you and God, all of a sudden there was, there was something about Jesus Christ you had to have. You had to have Him and all the benefits and blessings that He brings. The pardon of your sin, reconciliation with God, adoption into the family of God, the assurance of going to be with God after you leave this scene of time. You see it again in John 9 with a man blind from birth. John 9, 35 where Jesus comes to him. This is after the primary event, near the end. Dost thou believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So he emphasized that you've seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. 
And again, there's this, this, this blind man has seen him. This, I tell you, John is making a study of this. This is what men need. This is what all men need. They need to see Jesus. And fourthly, it is a desire of the nations. It is the desire of the nations. Go to John 12. Obviously, it's not the desire of every person in every nation. We know that. There's hostility against Christ. He came on to his own and his own received him not. They, they refused to, to see with the eye of faith, as it were. They could see all the miracles and they could see all the evidence, but they refused to see with the heart. But we have in John 12 a recognition that Christ is, has a harvest. He is a harvest across the nations. And it's emphasized here in John 12, 20, there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, we don't know whether they had the opportunity or they had it fulfilled in the way they desired because it doesn't give us any interaction between the Lord and them. And of course, he had come primarily to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So there wasn't a primary influence to the nations through our Lord Jesus. But there's some indications of his impact upon them. And this is one of them. And you have these Greeks, and what, how, how do you summarize their desire? They want to see Jesus. So, again, this is a study for John, seeing Jesus Christ. And I say before I move on to the next point, beloved, make that the desire of your heart. Make it a study. Make it a prayer. When you read your Bible, Lord, show me yourself. Come to the Bible and say, we would see Jesus. I would see Jesus. Lord, show me your glory. Or to say, as John is able to say here, I saw him. To come away from your Bible and say, I saw him. To interact with your friends and say, how was your day? I saw him. That's a good testimony, isn't it? Christians would be living the way they should be if they would experience this more often. But secondly, John's example in seeing. John's example in seeing. You see the humility and reverence that he has. In, back in Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and so on. So there is a humility here. And John exemplifies the kind of person that the Lord reveals himself to. Someone who doesn't look before the Lord with this proud, stark hardness, but has a brokenness and a humility, and easily falls before the Lord. Those are the kind of people that see the Lord. And that's as it was for John here. He exemplified Isaiah 66, verse 2. All those things hath my, mine hand made, when he speaks of the various things that we make, uh, the heavens and so on. All those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. That's the man I look to. That's what the Lord Jesus is doing here. He's on the Isle of Patmos with John, looking to John. Of all the places he could be, where is he? He's, he's, he's standing there before a man that feels the brokenness of himself. He's not, he's not there all puffed up with pride because he's, you know, he's, he's, he's being persecuted for the faith and for his testimony of Jesus Christ and faithfulness to him. He's still humble and broken. He's still a sinner saved by grace. John hasn't lost sight of that. And so in his humility, and his brokenness, as he cries out longing, no doubt, that he might see the Lord, when the Lord comes to him, he fell at his feet 
as dead. There's this, there's this brokenness that comes over him, a, a lifelessness that enters into him as he stands before the risen Christ. Of course, he gets encouragement to fear not. It's, it's, it's your God. It's your Savior that's here, John. You don't need to fear. But nonetheless, there is this contrition, this trembling. And so John, John's not the only one that exemplifies this. One of the best examples of this kind of characteristic, that when, and the Lord comes near and he consoles and encourages people that are like this, is found in Mary, the, the sister of Martha. You, you have her repeatedly. You think at the end of Luke 10, you can look it up for yourself. Luke 10, whenever you, know, you have Martha who's cumbered about, much serving, and Mary, where's Mary? She's, she's at the foot of Jesus. She's there at his feet to hear his word. And the Lord is there, not with Martha. He's there where Mary is. Mary's where he is. You have this mutual thing going on as she's at his feet. And so the Lord condescends to such who desire to be with him. But it's not just there. In John 11, whenever Lazarus has, has uh, died, and John eleven thirty two. We're told, when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But you see, again, the Lord, he takes note of her. He sees this characteristic in her, down at his feet, looking to him in humility. And you have it again, the next chapter, John 12. John 12, verse 3. When you have her taking a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. I'll tell you something. The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about many people. I mean, there are some characters that get honed in on way more than others. People like David, certainly there's an emphasis on Joseph, Moses. But the vast majority of people that are even mentioned in the Word of God, it's just this kind of surface mentioning of them. But you have Mary as one that the Bible kind of dips in and out of and reminds us of her and where she is and what's going on. But you find her repeatedly where? At the feet of the Lord. That's a great testimony. That would be a good thing to be able to say about anyone. I don't know much about that Christian, but I know this. When you see them, they're often at the feet of Christ. That would be a great thing to be said about any of us. And so it was for Mary. And so it was for John. John fell at his feet. And that's the kind of person the Lord comes and shows. In other words, you desire when you come to the house of God, or when you open your Bible in the morning, or whatever occasion you read the Word of God, you desire to see the Lord. That's what I'm trying to communicate. I hope it's coming across. You want to see the Lord. But what's the attitude? What's the frame? What's the spirit of the person that is most likely to succeed in seeing the Lord? It is someone who's coming to be at his feet, who takes the time to be lowly and broken and humble and, and is recognizing their sin. I'm, I'm a sinner coming to the Lord. And so you put yourself in the low place and you come to be fed of him, to be nourished by him. And then often he will give glimpses of himself to you. You know this. I think the vast majority of you know this. And so you have this very simple idea the desire to see the Lord, and then how it is that we see Him. We come lowly and broken, confessing our sins, and with a simple cry, Lord, show me. Show me yourself. You can't go on and sin, and you can't be cold in heart if you're having this experience regularly. You can't. 
You can't. This is what it is to live in a place of personal revival. Even when the church is cold, and even when the world is, is, is not where it ought to be in terms of its, its worship of the Lord, when it's showing its animosity and hostility and anger and resentment and casting aside the law of God as if it's nothing. You, you can be walking just as John was, isolated on Patmos and still have these wonderful experiences of the Lord meeting with you. It's the need of this church. There's nothing more important than that people would come here and see Jesus. Those of you who teach the children, even from the youngest, putting before them Jesus, not just telling them Bible stories, but trying to, 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 to help them see that, that Jesus is, is at the core of all the messages of the Word of God and trying to make a beeline so that if the one thing those little ones understand when they leave your Sunday school and move into the next age group, whatever. They, they're, they're learning this. It's all about Jesus. It is. It's all about Him. So this is the desire we have at every part of our ministry. You go to the boys' home. You go on the streets. You go to the... Wherever you go, wherever you take the Word of God, this is the need that we might, that we might see Him. That men might see Him. I need it. You can pray for me. Lord, help our preacher to see Jesus. There's so much preaching that goes on that has nothing about the Lord Jesus in it at all. I don't, you know, there, there are greater and lesser sermons. You know, not every sermon is a, you know, A-plus sermon. We get it. Not even the best of preachers have their moments, but, I mean, there needs to be the emphasis, doesn't there? There needs to be men in the study looking to see the Lord in the Word and then to set Him before the people so that that is the the emphasis of their ministry. It's what our missionaries need to see. We pray for our missionaries. And there's all sorts of things that they need help with and things that we need to pray for regarding them. But nothing will keep them on the field like seeing a sight of the great missionary constantly. Knowing that one came from heaven to this earth, the greatest act of missionary endeavor that ever happened bearing the sin of his people upon himself and going to the cross on their behalf. That's the ultimate sacrifice. And that's what every missionary needs to be reminded of when the going gets tough and when they're burdened and when things aren't going as they would want them to go. When it's, it's just, just grinding, just grinding year after year trying to establish the Word of God in a place that has prior to their presence never heard of Christ. It's what the suffering need to see and to experience as well. Because amid suffering, oh, how the devil works and how our hearts fail us. But it is a sight of Christ, it is a sight of Christ that changes everything for the suffering saint. When you're able to suffer and bear that suffering knowing that there is one who suffered exceedingly and bore the wrath of God on your behalf. I mean, that's what keeps you going. That's what we pray for the lost. We need to see the Lord. We need to see the Lord. Yes. So little seeing of Jesus. Real seeing of Jesus. In the church, among the unbelievers, and there's so little of Him being set forth, and even when He is, and this is, this is, this is the admission of this preacher, even with all our efforts to set Christ before people, we do so, so poorly. 
There is another witness that is necessary. The witness of the Spirit that needs to attend our meetings. And He shows the blind, the Son of God. That's our need. May the Lord help us and show us Himself. We're going to sing before we pray.